This week's episode is brought to you by the Connor McDavid Forces a Trade Countdown Clock, which is surely a few minutes closer to midnight after that debacle. Holy cow. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league? Yeah, we are. Oh, Captain! My Captain! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for August 10th, 2020. It's the playoffs preview for round one. And coming up on the show, we'll look back at some of round zero but while we're at it, but it's time to break down the matchup between the Colorado Avalanche and the not Phoenix Coyotes. So before we play the Wush and dive in, I have to ask you to choose your fighter. Do you choose Earl Six? Hello, friends. Do you choose Tiger Vixen? Pick me. <laughs> Or do you choose the voice of Vlad? The voice will lead you to victory. Special hello to Vlad, who's not been here for a moment. Hi, everybody. Happy to have you back on the show. Thank you very much. We're going to get to the Avs round robin game shortly, but I'd like to start this week with a heartfelt plea directly to Gary Bettman. Now, Gary, I know you listen to every hockey podcast on the internet, so let's not pretend you don't hear me today. I'd like to propose that the play-in round sticks around for a few trial years. Because, for me, this has been an absolute blast. I Just think about it. You've expanded the league to 32 teams soon, which means only half the league gets to experience playoff excitement and revenue bump each year. I think that revenue bump is going to be important as we try to recover from this COVID-19 nonsense. Um, what happens if you ever have designs on getting a league bigger than that? Your playoff structure is going to get awkward in a hurry, right? So consider this. We cut the schedule from 82 to 76 games. Everyone plays all 31 other teams twice each, that's 62. And then the teams in their own divisions another twice each, that's 76. The division champions and the next top two teams in each conference make the final round robin. And the division champs each start with a standings point, so it's worth something. They each play each other once proceeding, and meanwhile, 5 to 12 in each conference do this play-in round. And we do keep it best of five. It's fun as hell to watch deeply flawed teams play their hearts out, but by the fifth game, we're ready for them to be done. Uh, nobody wants seven games of it. So when there's butts in the seats again, this is good for eight more teams a year from a revenue perspective, which is better for the league than big bottom baddies playing another two weeks of losing hockey no one cares about. We get the excitement of postseason elimination games without just expanding the playoffs, and we get to future-proof a little bit in the event of even more expansion later on. If this turned out to just be a novelty that everyone loved because we've been in some level of lockdown for five months, then so be it. We'll roll it back to the old ways. But for my money, let's give this a bash after a full regular season. I will not argue with y'all about this. You can have the last word on it. But I really enjoy this plan thing. What say you? I think what we really loved about this, at least what I did, and it seemed like this was pretty endemic to everybody was Friday. Um, the six elimination games in a row. And I, I, you know, I think you could see it coming just because all the game fours pretty much were, were on Friday. Um, but that was just a, a master stroke of scheduling and genius that it all worked out like that. I mean, those were all, well, I wouldn't say they were all great games, but the, the games that were in the prime time, late afternoon, early evening, and whatnot. Um, I, I mean, that's just... That's lightning in a bottle. You, you need to be able to figure out a way to get that done. 
the thing that would worry me about going forward with this is how do you create that again with relegating some teams to early afternoon games, probably a little less revenue there. And, you know, you're going to have some scheduling conflicts. How do you get sort of the, the rapid fire games like we had all week? Um, so if, if, if you can satisfy those problems, you know, I, I really do like the format. I, I think if you're five through eight, you hate this. And I, I guess the tip for those teams would be be better. You know, it, it really makes being in the, the top four of the conference or top two in your division, however they want to do it, um, a big premium. So you're going to have more teams sort of fighting harder later in the season for these spots. So I, I think all around it, it does create a little bit more urgency on everybody's part. If you hate this as a five through eight, it's because it's a fraud detector and you're afraid that you are the fraud. Right. Well, there's an easy cutoff if you keep the divisions. You have your top three in the division, and then the wild card, the potential wild cards. A division isn't guaranteed even a wild card, right? The wild cards could be from the opposite division. So I agree from that standpoint that the wild cards are pretty funky to begin with. So to expand that and make it some sort of tournament, wild card tournament, I think would be an easy transition. Um. So I don't know specifically which format or how they should do it, but I certainly think the NHL needs to think about what worked, what was so interesting, what, and how could they monetize it, right, going forward. And, and I agree with you that it was all the games in a row. That was pretty exciting. I think, I honestly think the fresh matchups were interesting. I think the NHL has gone opposite with the force division games where every single series except one was a non-division series. And then moving forward, when we talk about the round one series, almost all of them are non-division series. So it's completely different and it feels fresh and it's like you're not seeing the same games over and over and over again. And I feel like hockey lends itself to this tournament thing. All these players grew up as kids playing tournaments. And and they continue yeah, we to do things. We were discussing this before. No, go ahead. Oh, it's just saying that they're used to it. The World Championships, the World Cup, when they were kids, World Juniors, what, what have you. So I think there could be a way to make some sort of wild card play in tournament like maybe you host it somewhere. Then you could have all the teams, the East and the West in one place, and you could roll the games like that. And, and, And you could do it faster because you're not traveling. The teams are all there. Hopefully some time in the future, you won't need to have a bubble, but still it, it, you could have the games happen quicker and things like that. And so I think that would be very authentic to the game of hockey and it wouldn't be weird and wouldn't be trying to force revenue. I'm sure people will complain. Cause some people always complain when the NHL tries to take mo- to make money, but or, or to change anything, <laughs> <laughs> but it would be for the good of everybody for the good of the sport and the viewers in particular. So I hope they at least look at yeah, when we're just- some of these things. Yeah, when we were discussing this earlier, or it was over the weekend at some point, you know, I really do think you're right. I I think the tournament aspect of it, having all the teams in one place, 
is something that that might actually be necessary um, to create this. You know, ha having an Eastern and a Western conference um, host um, just for this week of ter of games, um, and you, you'd have to figure out a way to to equitably slice that money up that the you know that the the other teams aren't getting by hosting these games, but I think logistically it it just worked so well. I, I I'm not sure you could do this spread out across the North America, and you know you, you're dead on about the the tournament aspect. I, I really do think you know you see the the guys in the stands watching the games when they're they're not playing and stuff like that. I mean it you know everyone's digging it. Yeah, I think it's been and great. I'll even it's... agree with that too. It's been such Sorry, a great ahead. week of hockey and and yes, we've all been starved and everything, but I've never watched that this much non avalanche hockey or at least NHL hockey. So it's been really cool for me to be able to see all these teams. I've watched almost every, a little bit of every single game. There's teams I don't get to see much. So like Columbus, Montreal, like they're not on American television. So I've, I've enjoyed really sitting down and being able to see a lot of the players and the teams that I don't see regularly. And I, I agree. I think you're spot on about the whole tournament aspect of things uh, being part of the fabric of these players as they grow up because they, that's what they've known and that's what they live for so long before they turn pro. Uh, one of the challenges that I see, and I think one of the things that's been so successful is having it for lack of a better term, on neutral sites for yeah. every team not named Edmonton and Toronto. So having it in these neutral territories where you do take the crowd out of it and you do take that hometown bias to a large extent out of it kind of lends an area, an air of mystique, the allure of the unknown, if you will, kind of like what we had when the last big new thing the NHL tried was the Winter Classic. And that was... You know, th that callback to playing outside as a kid on the frozen ponds of insert town name here. And people, as we've seen over the course of all that time, have really liked it. But of course, the NHL went totally... Now saturate. Monetize that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they saturate they saturate that. So with ex expanding that to the field of 24, and... I don't know. I don't have the solution to that, but I, I think keeping it on neutral sites would keep that tournament atmosphere. You, maybe you put a quote-unquote bubble in Quebec City. Maybe you put one for the time being in Seattle until they're ready to go or somewhere else in the Pacific Northwest that has an NHL viable sheet of ice to continue to have that East Coast, West Coast vibe where it's all on neutral ground because with that neutral ground uh, there it was just one of those uh, curiosity aspects well how what's this going to look like what's this going to look like and I think that you could still capitalize on that if done the right way and in the right markets just a matter of what that looks like in the future if they decide to go forward with it and I think the NHL was right in cutting off regular season games because I'm much more casual fan of the Nuggets, but I'm even like, just tell me when the playoffs are. Like, why Why would I watch the Nuggets play six random games or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 
I think the NHL did it right where from moment one, it was something that you could understand. Hey, this is a series. Like, this is what you're playing for. Such and such. So they they pretty right. much knocked it out of the park here. And there was a goal. There was a specific goal in mind. This is why these games are happening. It's the, you're, you're fighting your way in. It's a play-in round. This is supposed to mean something. It's not just some rando exhibition series to get the tune-up for the playoffs. It meant something to each of the teams that were part of those qualifying series or for the round robin. Every team had had something to play for. Yeah, and like I said last week, I, they did a good job with the round robin of giving it some meaning but not putting their life on the line. I think they struck a good balance there. I thought, what, and we'll obviously get into it, I thought they were as enjoyable as they could have been. I felt like it meant something to the abs. It certainly wasn't like more exhibition games. So I, th- I think they, they were right in what they crafted there. Yeah, I think we got really lucky with yesterday. I, I think both the round robin games yesterday, just because they happened to be one versus two for the top seed, those games were both fantastic. And as we saw this afternoon, you know, maybe the three versus four games aren't, aren't quite so great. But, um, but I, I don't know. Perfect. I don't know if. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you could sort of. I, I don't know if you could really make that um consciously um i think they got lucky with that but um I, I don't think it would have been bad if there was one of the one versus two games yesterday and one today something like that so i i you know i don't think it needed to be both of them yesterday but but having the one versus two in the final game was nice and i i, I don't know how you can do that every time but no um, you, it worked, you it worked out great you could do it if you yeah, did a, a, a format specifically to build that like if you did a one of those formats where you have, you know, two teams play each other, then the winners play and the losers play. You can do that. But yeah. it's like, then you run into a situation where one of the teams has won two games and they're done. The other team's lost two games and they're done. And the other teams play three. Like, it's it gets to be where you're wondering, you know, is this, you know, still going to be nice and equitable for everybody involved? And the, the round-robin well, format is going to have luck and unluck to it. But yeah. I mean, I think it's just kind of that's not something you can count on excitement every year, but I, you know, it, it just happened that way this year. So, oh yeah, it was perfect. It was perfect how you had to win for your seating. You you had to win a game. It didn't come down to a tiebreaker. It didn't come down to things that weren't on the ice. You know, it was like you could watch and you could see this team beats this team and they earn it. But like moving forward, no, I think whatever you determine the regular season is going to be you're going to want to complete that. And like I said, if you keep the divisional format, which I wish they wouldn't, but I think it's going to take a lot to break them of it. Mm-hmm. So you still have your one through three, you finish the regular season and you give that to them. Just the tournament would be easy to go. Okay. You have four teams vying for the wild card and then whatever you want to make for that tournament, you can. And so the others would be waiting, but you could do it quickly. Like we saw, you could do it within a week. I think the NHL would survive if they just had one week in between when the regular season ends and the playoffs begin. They generally take, I think, two or three or four days as it is. So if you just pushed it out a couple more, you could easily put in a wild card week for a, probably a best of five series. 
or even best of three if you really wanted to make it short, but either way, it could work. I think a best of three would really cheapen the the regular season. I mean, I, I think the best of five, I, I think the one downside to the best of five play in is it really makes it so that like you're playing 70 games and you eliminate, you know, eight teams, then you play five games and eliminate another eight. And that's, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. And five seems like a really good balance with what we've seen so far with the qualifiers. There's been a lot of intensity in the games that's been played to a large extent. And there was really only one series that it was three and out. So shout out to Artemi Panarin. Uh, enjoy your money. So uh, <laughs> every, I'm everything. Little, I'm a little surprised there's only yeah. one game five. Because there's so many game sevens. But there's only one game five. At the same time, I think that kind yeah, of I speaks at- to like the the best of five being right for this sort of level of play within the league. It's like, you, you would have, what, seven series that were either 3-0 or 3-1? Like, you're just, you're just asking them to play one extra game that you you know who's probably going to win it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it caught, it caught my eye that teams facing elimination only went one and seven, and that's not great look, um, but... Um... Yeah, I I have no idea why. I mean, I <clears throat> what do you guys feel like what, do you think that the teams that ended up winning they just basically grabbed a hold of the series early and that's the way it went or See, I don't think so because we talked about this last week all the game ones like they just didn't keep going. A lot of those series then got tied. It was the other team won game 2. It was just more the team that won game 3 ended up winning game 4. Right. So yeah. It wasn't sort of like a, a momentum swing for the whole thing, but it was like once it swung back from neutral, that was hard to overcome, which that, I don't know if that was just kind of how this worked out or if that's yeah, all right, how you always talk about in it. Go. You always talk about in seven game series, the team that wins game five often wins the series. Um, and and in a shorter series, obviously game three would would be the the same situation. So yeah, you know that that sort of rings true as far as momentum. But it is definitely interesting that the only team that didn't get eliminated in game four was down by three goals with four minutes left and had looked like garbage up to that point. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That was my fault. I went for a walk when uh, uh, yeah, Columbus scored that third, and it was under ten minutes to go, and I'm like, okay, and the Leafs looked dead. And yeah, and I come back and it's funny, my husband actually let us have the TV on in his presence. And so that was like the only hockey game he's watched. And I walk in the house and he's like, it's tied and my husband loves to bullshit me. So I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, no, really? <laughs> I'm like, did you happen to take a walk? <laughs> did you happen to take a walk last year when Vegas and San Jose were playing game seven? <laughs> <laughs> For roughly about a five-minute brisk walk in the third period, at some point, I was not. I I was not watching that either. I actually was on at a concert. Well, when the Avs are up against it, you know what you have to do now, right? Yeah, I guess so. Well, let's get to the round robin games that did happen um, on Sunday. Avs win two one over the St. Louis Blues, and they used every bit of the clock to do it. Nazem Kadri with zero point one seconds remaining puts home a rebound. 
Ryan Graves also scores on a broken little rush chance after he sort of fans on it first. Philip Grubauer, 31 saves on 32 shots. The Avs outshot St. Louis 16-4 to in the first period. It could have been a full raffle stomp early. This was a really nice return to Avs hockey. Please, back up my hype for this game. It does feel like it was about a month ago. So. <laughs> we um, probably played about a month's worth of games between now and then. <laughs> yeah, we've been through about 40 games since then. <laughs> It was um, no, exactly they... eight days ago as we record. <laughs> yeah, I remember they came out really good in that first period. And then St. Louis got the goal and then they had a better second period and third. But it will be very memorable, that Kadri goal. with Yeah. Where they had to, <laughs> had to get into the Milla tenths of seconds. Um. <laughs> I, it was one of those typical like St. Louis games where you just they're playing well, but they're not putting the puck in the net. So it was good to win one of those because that they've been involved in that type of game against St. Louis before, where it's just it's not quite enough. Yeah, well, they. I mean, they destroyed St. Louis twice in January. Those are the last two games they played against them, and so. I was expecting kind of what I saw in the first period, and I don't know what the Blues did during intermission. Um, obviously, that goal did help because that's kind of deflating when you when you play that well and the other team goes to the locker room with a one nothing lead. But um, you know, it it was a little distressing to see how much St. Louis shut the Avs down in the second period and. You know, they are the defending cup champs as much as we hate them and everything like that. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to see a, a little more pushback from the Avs. And I think they did play a, a good third period and, and sort of a, a theme that we saw throughout the week is they had trouble finishing. And that's why it took 19 minutes and 59.9 seconds to score in the third period, I guess. And by trouble finishing, you mean scoring goals, not finishing games. This wasn't right. the, oh no, it's the last minute of the period nonsense from the regular season. Right, it's not what we had to go through versus Vegas to, to put it to overtime or anything like that. But um, This was their shooting like 5% or something. Or less, yeah. So That should turn I, around I a little bit. I think for me this was... I mean, this, this game, uh, as, as you know, Earl alluded to, yeah, the, the Avs not only handed the Blues their lunch in the, the last two meetings of the, of the series, they took the lunch back and then they ate it and then spit it back out in each of those <laughs> games. So with, with this game, I was worried that we would see the way that the, the abs play the blues at enterprise center, because right. generally as a rule, the abs suck playing in St. Louis. I've seen it with my own two eyes out there live. It's terrible. So, I was worried we would see that, especially coming off of such a long layoff, even with the build-up to the bubble. And I thought that because this was such a big test going up against the uh, defending champion that we would see them trip over themselves. I'm glad they didn't. And yeah, we did see it go down to the absolute fraction of a wire. If that's being patient or if that's just being uh, just 
maximizing every last possible moment you have. Uh, I think this was a really good test to see what how well they could do after such a long layoff against a very important division rival that they've always struggled with. And then after after that, you know, once they were, they were able to get that tying goal, you kind of felt like something was building. And then, as we saw at the, that very end with Kadri, just another 10 minutes after reviewing whether it's across the line or not. <laughs> What more can you, what more can you ask for? Because that's a huge lift for the for the team to know that hey, it doesn't matter if it's a blowout win or if it's a win after eight months, we can beat with we can beat these guys. Yeah. And the the home advantage thing's interesting because it's is it because you're at home or just it's not their home? What's the bigger difference? So it's like I know St. Louis plays well at home, but do they need to be literally at home? For that to be a factor or just for them to not be in the other team's home, if that makes any sense. So is I think it's important that they weren't flying back from Florida and have like a yeah, six that was hour terrible. window to sleep and get ready for the yeah. game. Yeah, it wasn't their seventh <laughs> game in five days. That's I'm blaming Miko getting hurt the first time on that. Because that uh-huh. was total BS. But um, it is an interesting so, question, though. Is it the last change, or is it the actual arena environment in St. Louis? Right. Did they play different because it's their home crowd, or or anything like that? And I don't know if we have the definitive answer from this. I think as we get further into the playoffs, we'll see it. I do feel like it was pretty neutral. I don't know if anyone really. But it was interesting because there were a lot of momentum swings. And I know that was something the players had mentioned is they weren't sure if there was going to be that momentum. Could, could it be generated just from the players? And I felt like they would because once you get into a game and you're emotional and you're into it, that's where it's very an inter- internal thing. So I think we saw that we we saw a lot of, these swings last second goals through all kinds of games so i believe the effective momentum was still in there yeah and for this game specifically they have still had one more game left against these guys and without being able to play out the rest of the schedule without being to really see who would have taken that top seed overall this was a statement game for the abs to make that we had one more game and we need to find out for ourselves if we can, if we were able to still take that game and still win. So I think there it, may have been more motivation to do that in this game. I think it that was would have clear. been the fifth game of the series too, I mean, fifth game of, between those two teams in the the season. So, and it, it was going to be game eighty two as well. So, I mean, that not having that, you know, I I think we all looked at the end of the season calendar and said. You know, regardless of where we are in the standings, whether that game is going to determine, you know, conference winner, or division winner, or whatever, that's going to be a big test going into the playoffs. So it was nice to get that back. I don't know if they were just focused on the St. Louis thing. I think they definitely had a goal of winning the West, winning the top seed. So to them, I feel like it was even through the three games. I don't know that one was necessarily more important than the other. I think it was all rolled into the same goal. But yeah, well, I mean, I, I I think you're right, but I think each game meant something different as well as far as 
conquering an opponent. Like they'd lost to Dallas four times, you know. Um, right. Vegas was another game that they were supposed to have played in the last 10 games of the season. You know, they had smacked them twice in Vegas, but they hadn't played them at home. So how was that going to work out? You know, I mean, it, there there are good narratives, not just for, throughout the round robin, but for each opponent as well. And it definitely bears mention that that game-winning goal with 0.1 seconds left was a power play goal. Um, and it was created by a just metric fuckton of chaos below the goal line, where the abs yeah. never play on the power play. And Bender said he loved it, and it's like, yeah. So go do it again, homie. I'm, sh- I'm sure that the power, we're going to get into the power play more later, but it's yeah, on one hand, it's the certain circumstance that you have the last second or the last minute. There's always going to be more urgency or whatever. But th- they should take a lesson from it that it does work better when it's more chaotic. When it's down low instead of up top. We ready and to- as we've seen, do the same thing again, but slower hasn't yielded many results. <laughs> you know that should have worked last time go try it again well, it, it didn't work again I can't believe it it should have worked go try it again then on they definitely had failed power plays that game they did they like a whole bunch of them yeah <laughs> then on Wednesday the Avs win 4 nothing over a Dallas Stars team that honestly didn't belong on the same ice Colorado blew the doors off them outshot Dallas 40-27 to which was 26 to 14 in the second and third periods. Pablo Francis earns the shutout. Colorado get goals from Kale McCarr, Jonas Donskoy, Vlad Nemesnikov, and Andre Barakovsky. This was domination. Yeah, I, really I thought... loved seeing that. Um, it's seeing the Avs outshoot an opponent after they take a lead, especially a fairly substantial one. Uh, that's not something we generally see. Like generally, once the Avs get a lead, they slow down their shot production and and just sort of you know, sit on the lead a little bit. Um, and they did not. I mean, that's just, you You don't see that. And I don't know whether it was just sort of uh, Bednar cracking the whip on the guys or they just felt it and wanted to keep scoring or, or whatever. But, you know, knowing that they can still keep shooting, still keep producing offense at a, at a good rate while they have the lead, um, I think that's important. I really felt like this was the perfect game. There's just no complaints about this game, as impossible as that is. But I thought everyone <laughs> played well. I thought everyone contributed. It was, like you said, there was no dip in their performance. It was just beginning to end straight-up dominance. And I do feel like in that second period, that's when Dallas was pushing back the hardest. It yeah, I mean, me, that might have been Dallas's best game of the week. It's it's tough to say that, but yeah. Um, they were definitely it, pushing back. Like, Frank definitely didn't have an easy game, let's say. And especially not to get a shutout. It felt almost like a chess match. Like, the Avs would have possession, and then the Stars would have possession. And it would go back and forth. It felt like a chess match. And the Avs were... When someone had the puck, there was someone right there for the next pass, the next play, like perfectly. I'm, I'm sure Bednar is going to put that tape in gold and just like show it to them <laughs> once a week. Be like, this is perfect. We have to keep doing this. It's good to know that they can do it. It's just now you have to get back 
to playing that way all the time. It was really just an impressive outing for, you know, from start to finish and, you know, not to, you know, make excuses for the stars because why would I ever do such a thing? But they were also, <laughs> they also had some key guys out of the lineup too. Uh, John Klingberg wasn't even playing in the game. And I'm not sure if, was it Tyler Sagan that was not playing or was it Jamie Benn? Somebody else was not playing in that game as well for them. Uh, Sagan was definitely so, in that game because he was being a little bit nasty. He was. Okay. And I'm but sure they, they Jamie Benn was in it too. It was, uh, so, it was that they started Staylock rather than Ben Bishop. Yeah. No, Kudobin. He's, he's yeah, a starter now. Yeah, Bishop Staylock is the other shitty green team. That's right. Yeah. Kudobin, I think, had something like the best save percentage in the league or so, something crazy like that. He's, he's really their starter. It's not Bishop anymore. Yeah, as much as Ben Bishop owns the Avs. But yeah, not maybe that was the... that is That is something for sure. It's at but least I not nothing. You know, having Kudobin, Kudobin in the net was, pardon the expression, the green light for just offense because the Avs have always struggled against Ben Bishop. They've always had a tough time with him, and then they just lit up Kudobin like nothing else. So yeah, I don't, th- I don't think Dallas was just bad or anything like that. I thought, um, I thought it was clear it was a, a game against two good teams. Now in the third period, they might have felt a little defeated. That that probably could be a reason why the Avs kept pressing and were able to generate offense. But it's it's great to see they could do that because it's so so easy to go into the shell. Yeah. No turtle. Like I said, they gave up 14 shots in the last 40 minutes of the game. There's no turtle here. Finally, on Saturday, the Western Conference said, Dallas, that ain't no team. Now this here is a team. And out came the Vegas Golden Knights. Abs lose a tough one, 4-3 in 3-on-3 overtime, with goals from Donskoy, Nathan McKinnon, and JT Comper, who I thought was fantastic in this game, by the way. Colorado concede on a penalty shot because Graves gets toasted and on a penalty kill after Nate says something to the ref that you cannot say to the ref. And, you know, it's it's just really tough to put yourself two goals in the hole against this Golden Knights team and try to chase them. Really, really tough. Yeah. Colorado had a little bit better results in this one in terms of shot metrics, and they hit about 47 posts, but they couldn't solve Robin Leonard enough times to get it done. They walk away from the round robin with a two seed. Your takeaways from this game? Because mine was that I didn't realize the Pete DeBoer Golden Knights were this good. I, you know, I, I agree that spotting the two goals like that, I, I think that that prevented the game from going the Avs way uh, like it had in Vegas the first two times. And I realize they, they, they changed coaches. So there's a lot different with the Knights we played in the fall compared to now. But, um, you know, there were some mistakes. The Avs had a lot of turnovers in that game, but they were resilient. They kept coming back. They kept tying it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think maybe the results shouldn't matter as much as how they played against Vegas, because I think from the tape, they're going to find a lot of stuff if they end up playing them in the conference finals or something like that. I'll say this game annoyed me more than it should. because for a myriad of reasons of what you could realistically expect that I know that I had said before, they have to win at least one. And if they win two, they're good, which that's what they did. And 
like you said, they were generating. They just weren't finishing. They chased the whole game, but they were able to tie it up multiple times. So they pretty much did a lot of good things, but it's still, for whatever reason, this game still kind of bothers me. And I'm not really sure I can pick on why, but it just does. Let me make a couple suggestions. One of them is that Colorado's passing in this game was more of a suggestion than something they yeah. actually did. <laughs> there were a lot of passes to open space in the vicinity of a person. Um, or not even. <laughs> where, where somebody thought a person was going to be, but they weren't. Right. Which is which is <laughs> odd because against Dallas, it was like they were executing that perfectly. Yeah. yeah. I think you'd like to see some side-by-sides from those games as the Avs video team and just kind of look at well, what went wrong and what went right. My other suggestion of why this game was so frustrating is that the two things that I specifically called out accepted. We're, we're not making excuses for those two things. The officiating in this game was a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, the Dallas game seemed to lean a little bit more towards the playoff rule book. And oh, there were plenty penalties not... in that game too. Oh yeah, it, it was better though. <laughs> it was like I said, leaning that way. They weren't fully into it, but it was they let some actual play happen. But maybe, maybe so. That was it. It just was. This game was, oh, your skates clacked and the puck wasn't nearby and someone fell over, so that must be a penalty. But cross-checking into the net is legal. Yeah. I think the other I... thing, honestly, is not converting on a 5-on-3. That's just, it's just yeah. unacceptable, regardless of what game it is. And they picked that 5-on-3 to really play horrible. I mean, the, the, the power play was inconsistent all week, and, and you know, by the numbers, it, it was actually a lot better over the week than it was during the regular season. I know three games is not a great sample size, but you know, they, they were above their numbers a lot. Um, but they just, you know, I, I think they honestly were trying a few things on the power play throughout the week and they might find something that worked like we were talking about with, with Kadri's goal. Um, you know, playing low like that, that's, that works, but maybe let's not show that. I throughout don't the rest of the series strategic, especially when it comes to the power play i mean i think they they're, do i mean i think bednar does stuff like dagger. that all the time i think he tries stuff and then files it away and it doesn't come out again for a couple weeks or something like that um but uh, you know I, I think you're right as well like with the power play that just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason it, no matter what they do it always falls back to the same three guys passing around and doing nothing. The five on three did get pretty close. Leonard made a really nice, you know, predictive glove save on Miko, who Yeah, that yeah. was a good chance. Um, That's but, true. That but was then a really good chance. You also saw things like Gabe Landeskog has an open look from ten feet away and he passes to Rantanen who has an open look from fifteen feet away. Uh Yeah. And I'm sure that they were executing what they're told. It's just that's not the way you play a five on three. Five on three is all about the chaos. And I'm starting come on. to doubt that. I, I'm starting to doubt that they do what they're told on the P, on the power play. <laughs> I honestly, I, I really do. I, I I think that they just don't have a buy into whatever they're being told on it because they 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 seem to fall back into the same thing all the time. And Bednar seems to complain about you know guys being stubborn with the puck and not doing what they're told. Um, so, you know, I know we criticize Ray Bennett a lot, especially me, 
and it just it, you know maybe it's one of those things where the players just don't see the results or they don't like what they're being told and it, they don't think it'll work or whatever but it just that aspect of the Avs game is one part where they don't seem to buy into what the coaching staff's telling them it's just crazy to me the I best the transition that, yeah. team the best team at entries is so scared to lose possession on a five on three. Yeah. I mean, that has got to be the greatest advantage you could think of within a game is those five players on a transition entry against three defenders. Well, but I, but I know that that would take some serious thinking outside the box. It it runs the risk of being a little bit galaxy brained when it doesn't work. <laughs> and that's I mean it's funny because all right we did see them there was one play one power play and I can't even remember if it was against Minnesota or it was one of the early games in the week but they tried what one thing we've talked about a lot is like they do an entry and try to do a transition you know, shot play rather than curling back and setting up and then pulling back and trying to re-enter and doing the same thing. And then we never saw that again. So it's like, did, did the coaching staff see that and not like it or they liked it and they're like, let's let's hone that a little bit and try it later on in the, in the playoffs perhaps. Well, hopefully, because they need to try some different things. I think one of the things that... Uh sticks out for me with this game is we are looking at a very different uh, Vegas team than the one that the Avs, you know, saw earlier this season. Um, yeah. The two games that, that the Avs played, uh, it was on October 25th, Avs win uh, 6-1, and then they played them on December 23rd, a 7-3 win. The, sh- the, the Knights fire Gerard Gallant on January 25th. So that was a Gerard Gallant production. Now we're in the Pete DeBoer era, and of course DeBoer, as we all know, uh, ran the Sharks. As we, and we don't need to talk about the Game Seven thing again, but he he knows he knows the Abs a little bit. We'll just leave it at yeah. that. So he he knows how to kind of coach against this offense. He's already yeah, done it once, and he's done it successfully. I definitely think that's fair for sure. He's he's got some notes filed away as long as gabe's called offside when he's not it's also well, an, i wasn't gonna bring it up <laughs> it, 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 it's an interesting down the power play yeah it, say that it's a real different situation for teams who made coaching changes in season because they got a training camp yeah and I mean, obviously that didn't help minnesota but maybe uh maybe for a better team it it has its advantages yeah i think also they had some sort of winning streak before the pause. I think they beat St. Louis and won like eight games in a row or something. So they were really hot towards the end. Unlike Dallas. So it's kind of, it's kind of that, that tail right before they can Jim Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons. Reasons of international so, mystery. <laughs> so it's like we're dealing with two different, you know, two different versions of this club, you know, the Gerard Gallant club that the Av steamrolled. And then we've got this Pete DeVore club that this is really the first time the Avs get to see. Yeah. And that was what made the first period of this game kind of awkward where the, you could tell they were, the teams were kind of feeling each other out a little bit 
in a way that they didn't have to do against St. Louis or Dallas. Like th- those two games, both teams came out and got down to business. In in this game against Vegas, there was some tentativeness. Yeah, I think there's a lot more on the line, but yeah, I think you're right that you know, I mean, DeBoer is not that different from Gallant as far as coaching style. I mean, they're both very offensively oriented and and like doing counterattack and and all that. Um, so I, I mean, I don't think Vegas changed a whole lot, but they're you know, it's different enough that the the, the Avs coaching staff wouldn't have been very sure about exactly what they needed to do. I'd like and, to think and do you really game plan that differently for Marc Andre Fleury versus Robin Leonard, a Robin Leonard that you've already beaten in Chicago? I don't think so, but I don't know a lot about game planning for certain goaltenders. The only thing I could think about is like with Fleury, you know, if you get him moving to side to side, it's a lot easier to, to score on just because he's he's not as quick as he used to be and, and, and Leonard is. And you kind of had that same sort of approach against Qdoba, who was, like, overcommitting a little bit and also giving up rebounds. So you knew if you could get him sliding to one post, you could pick up the rebound and stick it home on the other post. Talk about overcommitting. Boy, Philip Grubauer. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> You shouldn't be outside of your net. If you it don't like, get the puck. I'm a goalie? <laughs> If you don't get the puck and you're outside of the net as a goaltender, that's the Red O'Bear zone. We don't want to be there. Yeah. That was, you know, watching Z trying to play goalie there. Um, yeah, and, and we know Grubauer, he goes for that poke check sometimes. It's just, it's irresistible to him for some reason. And that's the result. And it, it really didn't work out there. Um, you know, and, and other than that, I thought he played pretty well. I, I mean... They kept harping on, you know, that they went high glove over his glove hand twice. And, you know, that, that's generally the scouting report on everybody. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's huge. Uh, but, you know, the poke check thing is just something you live with with Grubauer as a goaltender. I feel like this is the same conversation we always have about Grubauer. It's like his mistakes are defensible, but we're still sitting here defending his mistakes. When it's hard to ignore, Frank has been literally perfect since arriving in Edmonton. He didn't give up a goal in the second half of the exhibition game against Minnesota. He obviously got the shutout against Dallas. Sure, Grubauer played one extra game. Maybe Frank wouldn't have fared as well against Vegas. But I just, for me, I feel like Frank. Frank is the more consistent goaltender. I think he gives them a better chance to win at this point. It doesn't mean that I think Grubauer is not good, but if you're trying to say that there's such a thing as a meritocracy, I think there is a winner and it's not Grubauer. I think it's a trust thing. I mean, they just don't know Frank as well. Um, It's not like he's played like five games. I mean, they saw what happened over the whole season. It's not like Grubauer's been here for five years either, right? Like, I get it. They Ben are finally pretty much told the truth that Grubauer has the rope. He He's the one that played in the playoffs last year. But are you going to live and die with that? Well, it's more it like, like the what answer is, is yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. I, I think the bigger question is, what is it going to take, you know, to get Frank um, into the situation? And let's say, you know, we have a back-to-back. 
and well, Frank does an start and, and is yeah and and you know let's say it's a game four or you know an, a, a later in the series game that's important and Frank ends up winning you know what do you do it might be too uh, late by then like yeah. if we're talking about if we're talking about Frank can prove himself in game four or five it might be too late at that point you've got I, Grubauer in through inertia nothing else <clears throat> I would probably tend closer to a real split. I understand. I still think both goalies could still have enough work to be fresh at that point, but it is also hard to say without seeing the schedule. It would probably be a little bit more compressed than what a normal round one schedule would be. But I don't know if there's going to be too many real obvious times where you, you want to start a different goaltender. I think, Bednar loves having an excuse to play the same lineup, the same goalie, everything. Right. So, and of course, if they're winning, yes, you, you want to, that's a good thing. But I think even in just, let's say it's a close loss, he's not going to go to Frank. He's going to keep rolling with, with inertia. Well, well even the thing with- is, all right, if you take, if you take Gruby out, you know, let's say Frank, gets a back-to-back start and wins or something like that. If you go back to Frank the next game, then going back to Gruber after that is a dicey personal situation. Um, as far well, We've as already a, seen a, this a... before, haven't we? With Bednar starting the same goalie on back-to-back nights during the regular season. Right. And, yeah, I mean, he might not ever start Frank unless, you know, Gruby's injured or something like that. Um, and that's probably and that's, the only you know, way that he gets in. Right. And then the question becomes, let's say, you know, Gruby gets injured in game three of a series. Frank wins a series and then Gruby's healthy for the start of the next series. What do you do? Then you have to keep going with who won the series. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's what I would do. <laughs> but it, right you know, the hand. <laughs> but is that what... Is that what Jared Bednar is going to do? Or, I mean, is is his commitment to Grubauer big enough that that he would do that? Because um, again, you know, it it's it, this goes to like, what are they going to do with Gruby long term? And all kinds of things are baked into these decisions. So, um, you know, once you sort of abandon Gruby, that's basically abandoning abandoning him for the foreseeable future i don't know if that's the wrong call either i i don't think it is i mean i think it could work out fine but it you know as a coach there's a lot more on your shoulders in making that decision the thing we have to keep in mind with paul frank is even though he's relatively new to the avalanche system like this is not a young development goalie This isn't somebody who's been coming up through the pipeline and fighting for his chance. This is a guy who has been, he's what, 29, I think? And has has been successful at, so he's 29. He's he's been successful at every level, um, at, you know, as, about as much success as you can have. So, it's, it's not like you're riding your hopes on some unproven kidlet who you're hoping can take over the net from you someday. This this is someone that you brought in specifically because he's proven he belongs there. Right, and the and the big piece of information we don't have is sort of what what the feeling uh, among the players is about 
um, playing in front of each guy. Um, and that would be something important. You know, if, if, if the team in front is a little more confident in Grubauer, then that's, that's something that makes it easier as a coach to go back to in these situations. I don't know how they could be. <laughs> but I don't know. They, I, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a penalty killer, I think you'd probably want Frank in there. Um, and yes, and to so. agree with what Steph said, it's that this isn't just everyone loves the backup goalie because he might be some sort of hero or whatever. It's They're pretty much split the season. So for me, it's not like, one is some sort of change of pace or not. I just think one guy has played better. Yeah. And especially more recently, if you can call the end of the regular season recently. I'm just relieved that this isn't my decision because I mean, I, I do think that Jackie's on the right track here with that. It makes more sense to start Frank, but there's a lot of personal politics wrapped up in that decision that I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. Right. I mean, for for all we know, Joe Sackett could be like, look, you know, we, we really need to find out if Grubauer is our guy for the future and, and whether we want to commit to, you know, giving him a long-term contract or whatever. So we really need to look at, you know, how he's going to do in these playoffs. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not sure Joe would ever do that because I think Joe would be pretty much like do whatever it takes to win the games because that's why we're here. But no, I agree it's not easy. Just the merit thing is gets brought up a lot where belief that that's how they operate and it's really not. We've we've said that a lot about other parts of their roster too. Um, and you, you may know where I'm going with this one. Um, we did not mention... See it coming a mile away. <laughs> we did not mention, following the summary of the Stars game, that Tyson Jost did not make the lineup for that game. And Who? he did not make the lineup for the Vegas game either. Your your bottom line was Belmar, Nieto, and Calvert. No Tyson Jost. Although not really. <laughs> they were really the third line. Yeah, who didn't see that coming? Yeah. yeah the yeah, Jost thing is really interesting because through the whole camp, it was pretty clear he was the 13th forward that Nieto was really cemented on that line, even so much so that a whole bunch of best fourth line in the league pieces got written and this and that. And Ugh. then game and then and then game one, here it is, Jost is playing. And And what's funny so about last... that is that Av Social, when they put out their wrong yeah. projected lineup, didn't have Jost in the lineup. They sure didn't. Right. At that point, like, the players who are playing the game are literally on the ice, dressed. <laughs> and you still can't get it right. That drives me crazy. But They, they do it every game. It's wrong <laughs> almost every... If, if there's five games in a week, the, their lineup will be wrong four times. It's, that's just what, this is what it is. And, here, and here's also a secret. You can tell who's going to play the game by the line rushes they do in warm-up. So... Anyone who's at the game covering it doesn't know who's playing is not paying attention. Let's just throw that out there. But um, so it's just it was fun. It's funny because it was like Bednar. He and his reason was because Joe's had a good camp. He fought hard. He 
probably took it like a champ that he wasn't among the regular 12 forwards. And it's like, I always said, I felt like Bednar hated to scratch him because he'd never done it. He hadn't done it in three years. But I think after the first game, he reconsidered. Not that Jost was bad, but he did have the lowest Dorsey 4 for anyone that played the game. And I guess if he's looking for a reason to either justify a decision one way or the other, maybe he found it. Before we go any further with that, he was on the ice for six attempts for nine against. Nice. Three of the attempts against were blocked. So for Fenwick, he was dead even, and he was actually 59% for expected goals. So it's no, that's pretty arbitrary. He, four, but... he was not at all. The, what, what he wasn't was 28 years old and a veteran of the league. And I think the first game was sort of like Timmy last fall, and it was just a token game. Um, and I, I think they had every intention of having that be the vet line throughout the playoffs. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I don't, I think they're wildly overrated and not very productive. Um, but that's, that's what he seems to want. And he wants to play them basically as a third line. And he didn't feel comfortable doing that with Jost. Or he didn't feel comfortable with Jost playing in that role. So it's going to take, you know, it's going to take an injury for him to get back in the lineup. Um, it's, I don't think there's a way he can play himself back into it at this point, obviously. I don't know. We'll see how he responds to this loss against Vegas. Or maybe it would have to take a loss against Arizona, but I don't know. The fact that he even did it means he's not married to it. And then another problem has cropped up, which is now Burakovsky got switched to the third line, which then when the third line becomes the fourth line, now Burakovsky's on the fourth line, and he played the lowest of anybody in the game against Vegas. And that makes Burakovsky completely useless. I tend to think he might yeah, and I tend to think he might be injured, um, something nagging, but it's something he probably, the, the staff probably thinks he should play through and, and maybe isn't, I don't know. Um, I just but think yeah, you're right, because Donnie and, and Comfer got shifts up with the other lines at times, and he did not. Um, so it's, it's something that's happened before, though. He's inconsistent, and they tried him on that top line, and he did not look great through the first two the exhibition in the first game but it was not just him there was certainly other I think it it took Nico at least till the Dallas game to really get and get some traction we're gonna talk about the top line um let's 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 wrap this Tyson Jost angle first um because I really feel I they don't play Tyson Jost on the penalty kill and I wish they would but like having him not available in the lineup makes your the best your penalty kill can be worse. Yeah. And didn't we see a, a marked improvement with Tyson Joes last year in the postseason? He was a completely just different roster player at that time during the postseason. And I'm sure that he would like to see that, you know, we would all like to see that Tyson Joes return again to see if that's just a one-off or if there's more to that Tyson Joseph than what 
we just saw last year. It's and just I, so hard. The last uh, 13 games of the regular season, he was fantastic as well. I mean, he, you know, he did end up second line center for the Rangers game that ended the season. Um, but he was really good from, you know, when Calvert got injured on and he started taking PK shifts and, and, you know, we've seen he's, you know, he's good at the PK. He can do it. The bottom line on Joe always is he needs a role. He needs something to do. Like you can't just be saying, should he be the 12th forward? Should he go in for Nieto when they have, they're completely different players and they should be different players, but trying to to look at that as an either or, there's really no way he can climb out of that. And what they do in the future is, is a big one. But looking at it for right now, I think he will play. I think Bednar likes playing him. It, I think it's going to be a lot easier for Bednar to play him than maybe some others. But it's there's still no progress towards any sort of role or identity really it's he does a few good things but what does that really mean it, it doesn't really mean anything i mean there's not a real there's not really a spot for him right now i mean the second line kicked ass the top line they've got to work whatever problems they have out he wants the vets together and then you've got your depth scoring line which never plays and you know, if they swap Joe's for Burakovsky right now, I doubt we'd even notice um, because those guys just don't really do much together. It, it takes which, opportunities to would... do much. That, that's where I'll leave that one. It takes opportunities. Yeah. Is that then so... now trying to find a home for Burakovsky is an even more pressing issue. Well, it just seems like that line is where they're stowing guys waiting for someone to get injured. That's how it's um, been for years. Yeah, they they want to roll three lines and then have three guys that are just sort of extra. Um, that kill penalties. No, the the three guys that are extra are, are Comfer, Donskoy, and, and right now Burkowski. Okay, well, Comfer's one of your top penalty killers for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we'll I be in great that's... shape for when that Nazem Kadri suspension comes in. Yeah. Well, I mean that that fourth line is your second penalty or power play unit adding. Cadre or, or whoever. But yeah, so, exactly. I mean, that's, that, they that's their role. They're not seen as a line with purpose. So yeah, they, right. That's exactly what it is. It's the top line, the second line, the vet line, and whoever. And, and the other this guys. Is all, this is and also dudes. a reason why <laughs> it's impossible for someone to break through from as a prospect because there's no place for them to start. They're not going to start in the top six. They're not going to start as a vet. So what do you do? It's, it's the same problem across the board. And the reason that Burakovsky even found himself on this kind of misfit Island on, on Saturday against Vegas was you, you heard my goals that I reported to y'all. There was a lot of names that are not the top line. Yeah. Nathan, right. Nathan McKinnon has one. The beginning wasn't just his fault. I don't think he played all that well, but I also don't think it was his fault. So with the second line solidified with Landy there, then it, and he's not going to go on the vet line. So it's kind of insane that it's either the top line or the fourth line for Burakovsky. Yeah. It's, so it's like once he got moved out of that second line, like he lost his seat. And it's like, 
well, there's only one other choice for you. And I think that's going to be a much more pressing concern, both now and long term, because you're looking at you're going to have to pay him some money. And if he's someone that you can't even consistently find a top six role for and this happened during the season as well like when everyone is like oh Burakovsky's this great top six find it's like he's playing 12 minutes a night like do you not realize that when he's on he's playing like crazy because he's really really on but yeah no, when he's he, not when he's, when he's yeah absolutely when he's hot he's he's um he makes a difference but it, he also had the lowest number of shot attempts he had three shot attempts over the three games like for a guy who's basically the best thing he does is shoot the puck, that's not okay. Yeah, he definitely had a problem in the first game against St. Louis. I mean, I think that's why he got demoted for the second game is because he passed up shots several times and then he was a little tentative on the power play. And so they took him off of power play one and the first line. Um, I, I think some of that was off also... You know, Comfer and Donskoy were really struggling and, you know, they need them to produce. And, and I think in the Dallas game, that line was actually pretty good. I mean, those guys turned in some goals and whatnot. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not like all is lost there, but, um, you know, I'm not sure Nemestikov is the answer on the top line. I like him as a player a lot. It just, um, you know, I, I think what we saw, I guess it was against Minnesota where, um, you know, he was pretty sharp. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's not happening now. I don't, I don't know what they're, they're thinking as far as going forward with that, but it just, I, I don't think that Burakovsky was the problem. And I don't think Nemesnikov is the problem on that line right now. It, they're going to have to find uh, a way to get that get... top line going because the only goal yeah. right now between McKinnon and Rantanen was a dis- disaster scrambly mess in front of the net that, Whoever was standing where McKinnon was standing had about a 90% chance of putting that in the goal. It was a sweet backhand, and, and Leonard still got a piece of it, too. And he didn't uh, have to do the spinny sweet backhand, either. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, no, that, those guys need to get going, and that's, you know, that that's definitely something... You know, I, I think... I, I mean, I think scoring in general has been the Avs bugaboo all week. Um... You know, they're shooting less than 5%. Their, you know, their goals per expected goal is hideous. So you know, their, their finishing ability really needs to improve. And, that you know, th- those kind of things start with guys like Miko and Mac. Those are the guys that really jack those things up for everybody. So hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it later. Um, the other um, team-wide thing that I wanted to make sure I drew attention to is that it didn't happen on Saturday, but Gabe Landeskog is taken a lot of penalties and needs to stop so hopefully that's the the none he took on saturday will carry forward into the rest of the playoffs because the first couple of games he took a bunch yeah and i I think a lot of that was inconsistent refing that we were getting or you know let's say aggressive refing um you know i i think he he needs to play that way um and, and playing with cadre you know, you sort of have a gritty line there that can, you know, do a lot of different things. But yeah, you know, it's like you you got to find the line, and I don't think a lot of people in the NHL have found it with the refs yet. Yeah, the penalties in general have been 
it's hard to take a lot from it because I agree you don't want to see guys taking multiple penalties and McKinnon took two penalties and in the last game Mr. Lady Bang took two penalties so. one, of, one of those was <laughs> yeah. emphatically not a penalty and the other one was emphatically not something we can judge <laughs> yeah but Landeskog took I want to think between the first two games and the exhibition game I think in those three games he had five minors yeah that, that's too many and that's not gonna work yeah he was definitely very gritty in those games and you know I, I mean again I do think he has to play like that you know I think the Avs need some grit like that and it's not just you can't just say like oh we got Kadri and, and you know he can be the gritty guy I mean you, you kind of have to have a bunch of that throughout your lineup and he, you know you don't have to be the flames or anything but you know you got to have an edge so before we get to previewing the next round, let's recap the qualifying rounds. Out east, your top seed will be the Philadelphia Flyers. They'll take on the Montreal Canadiens, the 12th seed, who by consensus did not belong here, and beat the Penguins in four games. Okay. Tampa Bay come in second. They will face either Toronto or Columbus, whoever wins game five, which will start about half an hour from as we record. Uh, Washington comes in third to get the New York Islanders, who handled the Florida Panthers as expected. And finally, Boston brings up the round robin rear with four goals in nine games. Ouch. Their reward is the Carolina Hurricanes, who dumpstered the Rangers in three. Surprises out east for you, and what was your favorite series? I want to say I was surprised by the Habs. I secretly wanted to pick them the whole time, and I thought they could pull it <laughs> off, and I... So was that Carey Price stanism, or was that you thought the Penguins were a fraud? I thought that they would have a tough time handling Montreal shot volume. I, you know, it's hard to say like, oh yeah, Price could steal him a series when he really hasn't been that great all season. I mean, obviously he's capable of it, but it just it's not something we've seen a lot of lately. Um, but yeah, I was I was more towards. Uh, the Penguins' goaltending would struggle with with a lot of the shot volume, and you know the Habs are they're a very gritty uh, neutral zone counterattack kind of team. So <clears throat> I, I just thought maybe a little bit of youth and speed might might get an older Pittsburgh team in trouble early and, and be able to carry it forward. Um, you know, I I thought they played really well. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with Philly, who's looked unbelievable most of the time um i really enjoyed watching carolina a little i can because they're blacked out here but they looked great especially the aho line yeah it was pretty cool to see a guy like svechnikov get a hat trick and carolina yeah. to really ride their young players and they didn't even have dougie hamilton or brett pesci so it's like they've got two top four defensemen that are still available later down the road so they are really scary i would say for me obviously montreal winning was a surprise that i thought early especially early on pittsburgh looked like the better team it's just when montreal won that first one in overtime it was like sure they were plucky and they held on but it just they they really shouldn't be in this series i I think I predicted <laughs> that it would go, that they would win a couple games. I did not think it was going to be a sweep. But it it definitely felt like Pittsburgh lost a lot of what makes them good. When you're not getting things from Malkin and Crosby, 
you're just they're not going to have all the the secondary guys be able to drive the bus like their top guys have to drive the bus so it just seemed like they got really discouraged um the islanders terrible god (laughs) yeah he wasn't really skating well um the Islanders series, that one pretty much went as expected. Like, Florida was never in it. Yeah, they won one game, but there was no question there. It was nice to see Varley play well because I think he got written off a little too early. And um, I think it's going to be a good redemption for him, even though I do not like the Islanders, but it was also neat to see their young players. I guess I should just say the theory, the theme of a lot of these playing series was performances from young players and we're talking like those drafted in the last three four years like very young to the league players making a big impact which i thought that was really cool um carolina i i've always liked them i didn't i was a little surprised they looked that good but i really didn't take the rangers that seriously so not a huge shock there. And the Toronto-Columbus one, I guess what surprised me about that one is just the swings of momentum. Like, I think each team scored, like, five or six goals in a row, and then team five or six goals in a row. This is really odd, but I guess you could expect that when you have such different teams playing each other. So who knows how that last one's going to end up. I still think Toronto will probably pull it out, but... You can expect those kind of swings from the Leafs. Uh, uh, that's true. The, from the Jackets, from a John Tortorella team, that's a little bit more unexpected. Go way up and down is what the Leafs do. And then just to touch on the play, the the round robin series, real quick. In our article, I picked Philly to take top seed, so I'll pat myself on the back for that one. Um, they just seemed like they got it going. They have the youth, they have the structure, and then they also have the emotional, galvanizing of Lindbaum and and his fight against cancer and all that. So I just think they've kind of got all the boxes ticked and we'll see how far it take them. Uh, Boston's look awful. I mean, they look bad in the exhibition game. They look bad in every game they've played. They're going to have to flip the switch. And now that they're playing Carolina, they really are going to have to flip the switch. That's my surprise is how stinky Boston was. And then Tampa wild. and Washington were just average, I guess. Fun. They were fine. They're Tampa and Washington. What What have you got for us, Vlad? I, and if you know, full disclosure, I didn't really get a chance to watch too many of the East series during the qualifiers or for the round robin. I did catch Game One of Montreal Pittsburgh, and I picked Pittsburgh to just. This was going to be, you know, in my mind, open and close, and it was just for the wrong team. So. <laughs> That was my big surprise, was seeing the Canadians just uh, just say see ya to Sid and company. And I figured Carolina was going to have the Rangers number, but I was not expecting a sweep at all. I didn't think there was going to be a sweep in either of the conference uh, qualifiers. But for the fact that it happened to the Rangers, you hate to see it. <laughs> I love seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and I didn't get to watch any of the round robin uh, play. I was really, I was really surprised slash disappointed that Boston didn't put in a better effort. 
but not seeing any of the games that's as much as I've got there. So that's Florida. Yeah, I picked them in our article, but I, I guess that was more of just me being a little more Hope Springs Eternal that, yeah, let's get those cats a good plucky win. And then Varley comes in and he's like, nope, <laughs> or yet. And so does Bob, for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they got to really wonder about that. They've got to have a and I don't big think, conversation I don't about that. Bob was the reason why they lost this series. He did good enough. He didn't do enough to steal it, but he wasn't the reason why they lost the series either. I don't know. What little I saw of that series, he looked terrible. In the West? I, that, that's the series I missed so bad, too. I I, I thought Florida was going to be better, but... Nah. Done with it. No, apparently not. In the West, your bracket looks like this. One seed Vegas takes on the Chicago Blackhawks, who won the Toilet Bowl against the Edmonton Oilers. I had that series entirely <laughs> wrong. I knew it was Edmonton's to lose. I did not realize how ready to lose it they were. Michael. The three-seed Dallas Stars get the eight-seed Calgary Flames, who beat Winnipeg mainly by injuring the Jets' best players. Would have been like the Avs losing Mac and Miko last year in Game 1. Big ol' note. And the fourth seed, St. Louis, get Vancouver, who did us all a favor and took care of the Minnesota Wild in four vicious, ugly games, including a Game 4 win 11 seconds into overtime. <laughs> Which leaves your pals, the Colorado Avalanche, second seed in the West, against the Arizona Coyotes, who were able to dispatch Avs killer Colton Sissons, thank you very much, and the Nashville Predators in four games. How do you feel about this matchup? Ours, we're talking about ours in particular now, or just yes. the West? Let's talk about ours. Um, I'd say lucky, first of all, because if things had gone regular, we probably would be playing Dallas in the first round. So this is definitely a significantly better draw. Of course, nothing's ever easy. You're you're playing a team that won a series and that took out. I called Nashville the best team in the West in the play-in round, and they didn't look amazing, but I could still possibly consider that true. <laughs> so they took out the best team that didn't make the round robin. Can we so talk about there's... the West qualifiers, by the way, real quickly? Um, yeah. Were there any good teams in that bunch? I think Nashville's better than they looked, but I could also I be giving them a touch <laughs> more credit. But this, this looked I... like four matchups to me of fraud versus fraud. I picked Edmonton, but I... I had been saying that was probably the most interesting or the most watchable series to me, so I did not expect a walkover. And uh, it it was bad. It was like bad hockey. It wasn't after spending tons of time watching good hockey or at least good teams play each other. Just the defense in that series made my eyes hurt. It was <laughs> so bad. It was so atrocious. And we know that that's not Edmonton's strong suit, but come on. Like, they have to be. They are better than that. It, that was probably They are not better than that. <laughs> <laughs> that. They also they, they also negated two minutes of their own major penalty, or their own major power play, and with, like, two minutes left in the game and them trailing by one, took a too many minutes on the ice. Like, they are not better than that. And then the, the Calgary-Winnipeg, that 
like you said, it, when you lose those players like that, it's it's hard to really call that a series. So that that one kind of swung the way you'd expect. Um, and then the other one, uh, Vancouver, Minnesota. I that one was weird to me too because. Vancouver also at times didn't look ready for prime time. They looked really young. They looked really chaotic. And I thought Minnesota could at least negate that enough to to win their way into mediocrity, not win their way into the lottery. So that was a little surprising to me too. But yeah, I'm glad we don't have to see them again. So thank you, Vancouver. I I remember watching the first period of the Edmonton Chicago game, and I had picked Chicago. I was all in on that. I had that for sure as the upset. I, you know, I wanted to pick Montreal as bad as I wanted to pick Chicago, but Chicago was the one I went all in on for the upset. And the first period, Edmonton scores, you're like, oh boy, <laughs> and then the Chicago scores four straight goals, and you're like. They're going to do it. <laughs> and you go, oh, there it is. <laughs> but then Edmonton won game two. So it's almost like, okay, that that's kind of been dealt with. But they just went out and crapped the bed in game three. <laughs> Here come the Oilers. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the whole <laughs> – the reasons I wanted to pick Chicago came pretty much true. It's just Chicago's got – you know, they've got a little bit of experience, but they've got some speed and youth as well. Um, they've got good forwards. they got no defense. Crow was good enough, and I was banking on that. But it's just Edmonton doesn't have any. Um, they're just a really poorly built team. They don't have any depth. They're not good at five on five. They're very good on the power play, and they had a really good PK during the season that, that just didn't show up during the playoffs. Um so that didn't surprise me. I really didn't watch much of the rest the other series just because they were usually on late or like in the middle of the afternoon, like they tried to shelve um, Arizona and Nashville. I wish I had watched more of that, obviously, since now we're going to be facing Arizona. But I watched um, a little I bit of to it, watch... and what I watched of it, I regretted watching. <laughs> and I wanted to watch Vancouver and Minnesota just to see Vancouver, not not to see Minnesota, because why would you do that? Um, but they were always on at like ten thirty, so that was just a no go. That was a, a um, kind of a that was kind of a grimly interesting series because neither yeah. team obviously looked like they were any good, and so both teams' reaction to not being any good was just to start running around at each other. <laughs> and I don't. It's hard to say if like if maybe one side started it and the other side was just happy to to oblige, or if this was kind of a mutual we're both just going to be shitbirds kind of thing. But that's how that series kind of went, like. One team would get frustrated and start taking runs at the other team, who would start taking runs back, and then you've got a pile of guys punching each other in the crease every night. Yeah, Vancouver is such a weird team because it's like it's almost like they're two different teams. It's like half of their team is old and gritty and dumb, and then the other half they've got some good youth and skill and stuff like that. And it's just I, you know, as a coach, I don't know how you integrate that and and make a cohesive game plan. Jackie, was it uh, you it who also... said that Vancouver looks a lot like the Avs in, like, 2011? Yeah. 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 That's and why that's I a, felt that's... like Minnesota could beat them, because Minnesota knows how to beat that kind of team. But in a way, Minnesota's trying to evolve. They're trying to get into this century, so they're not quite so much that 
they're an evolving wild. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I'm glad that you, you did know, it before I could because I was going pun to. on purpose. I would never make that pun on purpose. Um, so I think Minnesota is trying to become a better team, trying to use more speed in, in some of their youth. But so maybe that's what got them caught against Vancouver because they didn't rely on more of the tried and true methods. But that's why I thought they beat Vancouver because Vancouver does what the Avs did well, like I said, five years ago when they had stars plus dead weight. <laughs> so now that they get to play what? St. I forget. Is it St. Louis or Dallas? Vancouver? Dallas. Vancouver. Dallas. Vancouver has St. Louis. Oh, okay. Sorry, that went back and forth so many times today. I, it's not cemented yeah. in my brain who they play. Yeah. So that it came in at five minutes before we went on the air. So. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, Vancouver's the seven, so they get the uh, fourth seed. Calgary's the eight, okay. so they get the third seed. Okay, so that Vancouver St. Louis series, I think, will. And I know we're not ready to talk about the next series, but just to finish my point, that's going to be another 2014 Avs playing St. Louis. Right. So how do we feel about Colorado versus the Arizona Coyotes? And Vlad, I believe that was why you asked to be on the show. Yeah. Oh, boy. So... I've seen this movie once before, but it's been 20 years, and that was the last time that these two teams played each other in the in the playoffs. It was fun and then. And that's how long It'll it's be been since Arizona was in the playoffs? They've been that in the Western Conference not Finals. True. <laughs> no, it's they only been the Conference Finals in 2012. <laughs> 2012. That was the last time. So this is going to be this is going to be fun. And I will parse that fun with some uh, in around uh, in around some quotation marks here because I I really tried to watch this series as it was playing. Which thank you very much for interrupting my workday at 11 a.m. NHL. Do it again, many more times. So I I had a feeling, and I mentioned this in our prediction article. It was going to be Darcy Kemper that was going to take this team through Nashville and. That's essentially what happened. They, they got outshot pretty hard as games started, but when they finished, it was Kemper. It was Kemper just taking them all the way through. And yes, uh, Nashville, yeah, they, they were scary on paper, but it was Nashville. And where was you, where was Matt Duchesne? Nowhere. Paper and, predators. But Let, Letting your goal bounce in off his chest. He did score and later. And <laughs> and Kyle Turris, for that matter. <laughs> so they got just enough scoring to beat Nashville, just enough. And it it did come, it came from you know some of your usual suspects on that roster, the people that some people already have heard of, Taylor Hall, Phil Castle. But when you look at the when you look at this Coyotes team, it's going to be Darcy Kemper that's going to be whether or not this team lives and dies when you take out a nashville that has that kind of firepower up front question asterisk defense on the back asterisk i i gave that series to arizona but 
this is going to be a much more difficult task for uh, for the Coyotes to take on. That being said, the Coyotes have consistently been a, a problem for the Avs. The last two games that the Avs played against Coyotes this season, the first one went to overtime on a Bur and ended on a Burakovsky overtime goal. The last one in Arizona, a three nothing shutout. I want to think course, that was a Avs traveling were, back to back, right? It was a traveling back-to-back, -back and the Avs were very banged up at that point. That was early November. I think that was the only this one of two times the Avs got shut out this year. But even then, the, the Coyotes have just been a, a mystery to this team. Yeah, um, they're very tough to play. So... With the way that the Coyotes play, it's going to be a problem for the F speed game. And if they can't solve that speed game, and we saw this a little bit against Vegas and a little bit against St. Louis, but that's where the Avs are really going to have to find a way to get through that neutral zone uh, question mark with style that the the coyotes play on and they rely on because as and i want I mean, this was a very pointed argument a talking point if you will for the coyotes broadcasters they kept talking about the amount of goals that carl soderberg yes our old good old pal carl carl he scored 17 goals throughout the regular season well 17 goals isn't going to cut it when you're trying to produce in the playoffs especially when a team that didn't have more than one player score more than 20 goals all season long. Who was that? You're not going to find any success that way. That was Connor Garland. Who? He's my boy, too. Connor Garland was the, the one person on the Coyotes roster that had at least 20 goals. <laughs> Somebody I've never Six. heard of. Good old Six. NHL marketing. Six He's a tiny guy from Situate Mass. Oh, wow. No, I like Carl. Connor Garland is probably my one and only favorite player from Arizona. I guess Carl would be too. Um, Not even Phil. I like Phil, but it, you know, I just Not it, it's, Taylor I, I forget Hall? he's on that team. We'll talk <laughs> about that? Taylor Hall at another time. I'm not a huge Taylor Fall Taylor Hall fan, actually. But Taylor Fall. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying he's not my favorite so, topic either. We're just gonna hope he isn't Haler Tall coming into the series. Right. <laughs> I thought he was inconsistent. I mean, he obviously has the skill and the firepower, but in in the game they lost to Nashville, he was not good whatsoever. I think he was like minus three, took several penalties, wasn't generating anything. Minus three. But Ryan Graves was just horrifying. Um, you look, you know, I I didn't see any of this series because it was just not not on at great times for me but um you know they got outshot badly like vlad mentioned that's what the predators do they generally don't have that much success doing that um so it, it's not an incredible surprise they got outshot that badly and, and and still managed to pull out a win it they shot really well i mean they shot over 10 percent, which is two and a half times what the avs did so you know, they they made the most of the chances they got. But, you know, the, 
I, I can't see them doing that against a Navs defense that only let in one goal all week at 5v5. Absolutely um, cannot do it. They absolutely cannot yeah. do it. The, the, game, the game that they, they got four up on Nashville, those, a lot of those came in special teams. So what do you do against this, this type of roster? I, it's, you know, I, I think some of the stuff that we saw in the, the two wins versus St. Louis in, the, in January are kind of the things they're going to have to think about to defeat how Arizona plays in the neutral zone because um, that's the kind of structure they're going up against. And, you know, if, the, if they're not going to be able to plow through that, um, you know, we're going to be involved in a lot of 1-1 games late in third periods, and, and that's just that's dicey. And then um, you're, you're it, hoping for a power play goal, which is not good. And, and I've said this in the Discord. Don't sleep on the Arizona Coyotes. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going to be you know, a, a cakewalk by any means. This is at least going to go six, folks. It, it's going to be a grind. I mean, I between... think it, I, it really depends on how quickly the Avs find the key to the unlocking the neutral zone. You know, if it's something that we see in game one that they're already, you know, making good headway, able to use their speed, then that's, you know, that's really not good news. But, you know, if we're, if we're kind of getting to game two and Mac and Miko still aren't scoring and the, the games are still low event, low scoring, um, you know, that that's going to be a little bit of a panic button. This isn't a matchup that I like at all. And it's not just because I don't like watching Arizona at all. It's because like it of what Earl keeps saying over and over and over, and what Vlad keeps saying over and over. When you combine these two facts, I don't like it. Number one, Colorado have really kind of struggled to actually put the puck in the net this week. Um, when Colorado struggles to like when they when they come up against very good goaltending. Sometimes that just stops them in their tracks, and then that ends up boiling over into frustrations that tears apart the rest of their game. Now they end up with breakaways the other way because they're just plain angry. And the Coyotes have Darcy Camper, who, until he got injured, was easily the best goalie in the league. It was like him and Hellebuck and then everybody else. So, you've got this Colorado team who is very well-rounded but very offensive and can sometimes get shut down by the hot goaltender going up against the hot goaltender. I don't like it. Well, between (laughs) the two possibilities, the Coyotes and the Blackhawks, I definitely prefer the Blackhawks because the no defense there is not going to hold up. Like, against Vegas, good luck. But, so I recognize that... Arizona poses some problems for them. All the games that the Avs play against Arizona are that sort of mucky type of game. And and I recognize this is the playoffs. There's never any easy roads in the playoffs. But this is a gift. This is a gift to have a first-round opponent that had 18 fewer points than them that needed to win a play-in series against as an 11th seed to even make the playoffs. This is a team, like Vlad said, hasn't been in the playoffs since 2012. There's not a lot of ex- play- playoff experience there. You've got you guys like Kessel that have been on other teams, but collectively, this is not an experienced group. And 
those things do matter. Team experience does matter. So if the Avs can't win this series or at least make a pretty good statement playing this series, they're not contenders. Like we talked about how they have as good a chance as anyone. Nobody in the West looks amazing. I mean, Vegas looks pretty good, but even they are beatable. This is the Avs' chance. So if if they can't make a serious mark on Arizona, then it's time to rethink some of their identity, I think. If they can solve Arizona, and I'm confident they can, that will give them the confidence to unlock St. Louis much easier than they had in the past. Yeah, and I think you're could, right on that. They could easily have to do that in round two. Yeah. If I mean, all of the round robin is- teams beat all the fraudulent teams, then you have, you know, Vegas versus St. Louis and Colorado versus Dallas in round two. But if even one of those round robin teams fall, then you probably have Colorado and St. Louis in round two. Unless it's Vegas. And one thing <laughs> to keep in mind. <laughs> Let's bring let's, let's dust off some old memories here. The goaltender of record in the Game Seven loss to Minnesota, Darcy Kemper. Oh, there's no doubt he's gonna he's probably gonna be Arizona's best player. The other thing is they lost their second guy. Anti Ranta got hit what hit in the head in a warm up, and he's been unfit, so he may or might may not be available for the series. So if they don't have that fail safe in their second guy that could also be another area to exploit yeah Kemper's it yeah Aiden Hill if if Kemper's out yeah good luck Aiden Hill it's been nice knowing you <laughs> <laughs> so this will Jeez, all put, put all the Eagles guys in against him th- this will all get <laughs> underway on Tuesday we're not sure if, if Colorado series will start on Tuesday or not they haven't told us any scheduling yet because you don't really need to. Everybody's playing in the same buildings, so they can announce it whenever they want. Um, before Tuesday comes Monday, which is probably the day you're listening to this show. Hello. Um, which means that tonight you can tune in to the draft lottery and see which of the playoff asterisk teams get the first overall pick. It's The way it's unfolded has been very unexpected, which should be what is expected at this point, right? They open themselves but up to it's, it. It's their own fault. So it, it could be Toronto. We'll find out tonight. But you've also got Edmonton, Pittsburgh. It just it can't happen to Edmonton. It's it'd be embarrassing for the league. It's embarrassing for Lafreniere himself. It's just as much fun as everyone loves to have Twitter chaos for ten minutes. The kid has to live with it. That's his career, and. You just you just don't want that. You don't want your the start of your career in the NHL to be a joke. It's just if the league is ever going to rig anything, just rig it so that Edmonton doesn't win. But there's there's a lot of other less than desirable outcomes. You have Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota in the lottery, but they haven't really had a player like this except for Winnipeg to get line A had number two a couple few years ago. So they sort of have that benefit already, but at this point, it's just gonna—it's gonna hurt no matter what it is. But I'm just also ready for it to be over. 
And also, please not Toronto. As much as everyone thinks them and their cap situation is interesting, spoiler alert, it is not. This would help their cap situation. <laughs> Toronto drama is not as interesting as you think it is. Remember when Nylander held out? That was not exciting to hear about for six months. <laughs> we do not want to hear about what Toronto's going to do with their forwards they're going to have to solve it anyway because if they haven't figured out by now they have no defense then there's nothing that's going to help them so please do not let Lafreniere become a Twitter meme let's let the kid have a nice career the end I like that uh, I like that and I have nothing to add should we uh should we go ahead? We've already kind of run into the long territory here. How about we jump into our predictions? Okay. So we'll start out east with Philadelphia versus Montreal. Who wins? You can guess games or not. I don't really care. Philly and five. They just, they're going to take care of it. Philly and seven. I'll split the difference. Philly and six. Because I said I don't care if you pick games or not, I'm not picking any games. <laughs> I, think, I think the Flyers do take that one. I definitely think they can pass the fraud detection that Pittsburgh could not. Um, Tampa Bay versus Toronto, if that series happens. I'm, for my money, this is Tampa pretty handily because Toronto has no defense. Yeah. That would um, be the way that Toronto would break out of their funk. Then again, Tampa can't lose another first-round series. I could see that yeah. as an upset. I'll pick well, Toronto instead. Jackie, remember they got grittier, too. So <laughs> they, they've got Tor that going for them. <laughs> I'll pick Toronto in seven if that one happens. Tampa in five. I'm going to go Toronto in six. And then, on the other hand, the, the rematch, Tampa versus Columbus. I think Tampa would win that one in six. Say Columbus in five. I'm going to go with Jackie on that one. I agree. Now remember, they've, they've got no Stamkos probably for the rest of this year, and, and Hedman looks like he's done too. I think they could beat Columbus. I don't think you can underestimate the vengeance factor here for Tampa. Yeah. I, I think they just win by sheer force of will. Um, Washington, Washington versus the New York Islanders. This is so. This is a great storyline, like playing trots. Um, Varlamov <laughs> against this the Caps. This series isn't very interesting to me. No, I'm not going to watch one minute of it. <laughs> just, that, just that story of it. <clears throat> um, I, I'm going to go Islanders in six. You got Varley and Trots playing their old team, and boom. I don't know. The Islanders are good to a certain point, and then they kind of top out. I think Washington can win it. They'll say Washington in six. I don't know. Washington's looked like trash, and Farley does like to play Washington, though. But no, yeah. I think it'll take I'm six go or seven. Islanders in seven. Okay. I think it'll take six or seven. Um, but I the the Islanders can't win a game that's not a one goal game, so. There will be more of those that go Washington's way. Boston and Carolina. If you go purely on momentum, this is Carolina without losing again. Yeah. 
I, I want to say Boston, Carolina in four, but I'll say five. I think this one's going seven. I think Boston will wake up some. I it probably is too little, too late. I'll say Carolina in seven, but I I think they will at least get some of it together. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think I'll agree that it go it'll go seven, and I do think it's going to be Carolina. I will say some if, of this for me. It, it depends on. It sounds like Dougie Hamilton's probably going to be able to play um, at the beginning of the series, and if not, pretty soon after. Um, they won't say anything about Brett Pesci, but if he joins the the Canes during that series, then it just I just don't see Washington being able to do anything with. Him. I will say I still think Boston's the better team, but I do believe in you can't just flip the switch. If, if you've if you haven't been good for two weeks, you're just not gonna suddenly figure it out. Yeah. And they're old. I mean, I just I, I, I think the the point you made earlier about, you know, the younger guys on the on the teams that, that advanced having a, a good effect. And I, I think it's important that if you're depending on older guys, you need to have the young guys step up um, or your depth step up or something yeah. until they get going. It's true, and, and they haven't. Just, yeah, and it's just – if you don't get it going soon enough, you're you're screwed. I mean, if they get down 2 nothing, I don't. I just don't see them being able to do anything there. Though I will say that if Boston are able to turn the lights on and find the gas pedal, this will probably be the most entertaining series. It could be, yeah. Could be the best hockey in the East, anyway. Let's come back out west then and see how many times will Vegas put a Brazil on Chicago. <laughs> I'm going to take Vegas in four. I just I think they're going to smoke Chicago. I liked a lot of what I saw from Chicago in their in their series against Edmonton. I, I you know obviously a lot of that's not going to translate, but um, you know I I think. I think Chicago's probably got one, maybe two wins in them, so I'll say Vegas and six. Yeah, Vegas and six sounds sounds likely. I don't see Chicago having that much left in the tank to push it to a game seven. Vegas and five, two Brazils. Dallas versus Calgary. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, this one doesn't sound like fun at all. <laughs> this game sounds this matchup sounds terrible. Goals. They almost went through two whole games without scoring a goal. That's just it's really astonishing how Dallas has changed their identity so much. I just I do not believe in Dallas because you can't change who you are that quickly without completely changing who's playing on the team. Like they've they made just, Jamie they, they Ben don't take advantage of what they irrelevant. have on their team too. <laughs> I mean, you you look at the makeup of Dallas, you're like, all right, you've got these dynamic offensive defensemen you don't use right. dynamically and he... offensively, and you <laughs> neutered Jamie Ben in your top line, and now you're you're just sort of like Minnesota South or something like that. <laughs> but then again, the Flames they are so are. terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. and the Flames are just terrible chokers at everything they do. And it, I don't know. I mean, I could see both teams losing this series. <laughs> can can that happen? Can we make that happen? <laughs> I, I think Calgary's going to get redemption. I think from flaming out haha last year, they'll win it in seven. I'll say Calgary. 
it eventually comes down to who's able to score goals, right? And I have, like, I don't have a lot of faith in Dallas's ability to score goals. No. And they'll probably injure someone else, too. Yep. Probably. Yeah. Calgary at five. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking whoever takes control of this series will will probably do it early and, and dominate. Yeah. So that's probably more likely to be Calgary. So yeah, Calgary and five it, sounds good. It is more likely to be Calgary, but I also have no faith whatsoever in Calgary, as we talked about last week. Like, right. That I kind of figured that Winnipeg had that series because I had no faith in Calgary. I I still feel like this is Dallas's series to lose, but I also think they're extremely poised to do it. Yeah. Because they can't score goals. Uh, St. Louis and Vancouver, we've already touched on this one a little bit. I think we're all going to be in agreement that St. Louis should have not a whole lot of resistance in this one. Yeah, they're just so much more experienced and machine-like. They'll take care of Vancouver. I could see, I could I, see I Vancouver win a couple with their, their skill, but I'll say St. Yeah. Louis in six. Yeah, I mean, I think that St. Louis does struggle with skill like that, and... and... I mean, Vancouver does have enough to to give them trouble. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm just not impressed at all with what I've seen with the Blues all week, and you know, I, and I, not having seen Vancouver, I, I can't really say how much their skill is going to make a difference. So this is a toughie. I, I'll say it goes seven, and and St. Louis takes it. I'm going to go off board. If- and I'm going to say it's going to be Vancouver in seven. That would be great. It would be. St. Louis probably is the Avs' toughest competition in the West. So. And that brings us to the big one. Does anybody not think the Avs win this series? Okay. So how many games (laughs) for for Colorado to, to take down Arizona? Because I think it's going to be six, I, and I think I'm going to hate every minute of it. Probably. I want to say in five, but we can't have nice things. I think, it'll, I think it'll be six, and I think that's a good thing, actually. I, I think the Az really do have some rust to shake off that they didn't take care of this week. So, If they um, really get going, I could see it over quick. Yeah. Um, if Nathan McKinnon has three points in game one, I'm going to revise my number to five. <laughs> or four yeah it's just i mean that's, funny that's because... really what it depends on is it as soon as they figure out how to deal with a kemper and b the neutral zone trappish counterattack stuff um you know they could make it a short series but um you know it, arizona kind of fooled me against nashville so i'll give them more credit this time it's kind of funny how a series that's over in five and six, there's a huge difference between that. It's like yeah. five is closer to four and six is closer to seven. The numbers are accurate. I mean, that is what it is. <laughs> just saying, is... Never mind. But you know what I mean? There's just such a big difference between holding a team to one win than two wins, I think. It's a lot yeah. of different series. Well, I have turned on the Toronto and Columbus game, and I'm seeing highlights of saves. It is 0-0. Zero, zero. So I think it's going to be abs and six. However, there is going to be at least one injury coming out of this series. 
Oh, why I don't you, predict I just, injuries. I knew you were going to say that, Vlad. Why, why did you have you, to do that? Why would you put that in the universe? <laughs> Is it going to be Rick Talkett? <laughs> Are they going to goon it up? And I can't even cut it out. No. That'd be even worse karma. No, because they, they don't really have any... You know, real goons anymore. Rafi Torres is out of the league and has been for a long time. Zach Ronaldo plays for Calgary. They, they don't really have anybody that plays that role anymore. Wait, Zach Ronaldo still plays? Good yeah, for him. he's on the, on the Calgary roster. That sounds pretty predictable. That's pretty yeah. on brand, yeah. <laughs> All right, so hope, hopefully Vlad's wrong on this one. Um, <laughs> And we we don't we aren't so you want sitting the coyotes here, to win? So, and we're not sitting here in a week going, boy, what are we gonna do without X? Um, they should mentally prepare for it, though. I mean, yeah, it's the playoffs. It's you have to be prepared for that. But the Avs have one of the deeper forward cores in either bubble. So there you go. Because everybody finally got over their injuries. We we're hoping that we've had our injuries out of the way. We already paid that that price. And now we get to pay it again. Not talking about this subject. Let's, <laughs> I, I don't know knock how much else. Wood. Everyone listening, knock on some wood. Yeah, I don't know how much oh, else we really have to get into today. So this is kind of the last subject, which is kind of a sour one. I mean, we get to end the show on kind of a note of, oh. Okay, <laughs> who do we think is going to be the X Factor for the Avs? If they're going to advance, Cadre. who do we think is expect a special performance from? Kadri. Yeah, Kadri was their number one dude all week um, with Landy real close. So I, it, it would be between those two for me. <clears throat> um, I think Gabe shakes off his penalty troubles and gets a little bit more going than two assists in three games. It would I'm be gonna... nice they've found use for Burakovsky. I want to say Miko. I think it's time for Miko to take over a little bit. I think he was getting close. I can see a big series yeah. for Miko. I'm going to go with Kale McCarr. There's a guy who hasn't shown up all week. <laughs> he scored a goal. Uh, yeah, so did Ryan Graves. Okay, he's, he scored a goal that wasn't <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Was on the power play. He scored a goal the way he intended to score it. <laughs> I, I think Kale's had moments. I think especially in early in the Dallas game, he he helped give the Avs that momentum. But yeah, he needs to find another level. My my hope slash prediction is that next week, as we get into our probably between games three and four episode, that it is called the third Kale McCarr episode. <laughs> that would be lovely. Yeah, we've already had two of them. Let's have a third. Um, closing, closing thoughts that are not related to curses. Go abs. We should be yeah. excited. We Thank should be excited. Thanks to the it's NHL exciting. for a great week of hockey. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting times. We had things to complain about because, you know, that's us, but we should be excited. Yeah, that's. I'm doubly excited for this matchup. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, I've, I've said several times that the the Avalanche have just about as good a chance as anybody else to come out of the West, and I still feel that way. Um, I think you give yeah. Bednar a seven-game series against Vegas, and he can figure that one out. 
he does do a too. he does a really solid job of game planning for a team over a series. Anything can happen in in a game. You're not going to hit six posts every game. Ding dong. Yeah, and the, it was nice having this little amuse bouche too, so that they have a little film just in case that happens in the final or the conference final. Blue Jacket score. Nice. Nine. Yeah. So what? Alright, Cannon. Whatever ends up happening in this game and whatever ends up happening in the beginning of the Avalanche series, you know you can find out here. We will be back. Um, I mean, I can't really tell you what day it's going to be. It'll either be a Saturday or Sunday recording, assuming that Colorado don't play back to back Saturday and Sunday, which would make me want to personally find someone in the NHL to fight. Um, <laughs> it, it will be sometime next weekend. Keep an eye on the old Twitter, and we will let you know when we will be coming back. But it will be next week, and will continue being every week and as long as Colorado go which hopefully will be deep keep your head up and very away from the dirty areas because we are still trying to not get sick around here and we will see you all next week And the seat that I have is kind of on this little divot in one of the smaller upper tier sections in, in where the, the arena kind of comes in at an angle. And because they changed the, the armrests, that further reduced the angle of my seat. So when I was standing up for goals, I would get stuck <laughs> in, the, in the seat. <laughs> And I'm not a big man. No. Any, any <laughs> yeah, so, if Vlad's getting stuck, a whole lot of other people are yeah. not doing well. <laughs>